All right, open with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look again at uh, this little episode with our, our friend Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Give me just one second to turn there myself. I guess I was not as prepared as I assumed I was. Okay. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 through 22. So the title of tonight's message is uh, Four Fields of Christian Growth. Okay. So any of you who have spent some time around me have heard of the Four Fields method for church planting. This is not that. But. It is four fields, and so we're going to be talking about these four fields or four areas of how we should be growing as Christians. And what it's going to help us do, hopefully, is look at where are we, where are we going, and if we're not where we want to be, why? Okay? So I want to start with a quote by uh, Henry Drummond, and he's a Christian author. And in one of his books, he writes the following. If the amount of energy lost in trying to grow were spent in fulfilling the conditions of growth, we would be many more, or we would have, or I'm sorry, we should have many more cubits to show for our stature. So let me read that one more time. If the amount of energy lost in trying to grow was spent in fulfilling the conditions of growth, we should have many more cubits to show for our statue. Okay? So, we're going we're gonna to look and uh, talk about kind of the progression of a Christian life. Okay? And we're going to look at this through um, the example of Paul. And we're going to look at something very interesting. And I'm going to say this now, because if I don't say it now, I'll probably forget later. That as you grow in Christ... Okay. especially past the elementary things of Christ, as the Bible puts it, the kingdom of God should be growing with you. As you grow, so should God's kingdom around you be growing. Okay, so let's go ahead and read Acts 9, verses 17 through 22. And Ananias went his way, and entered the house. And so this is uh, Paul or Saul had been met on the road to, to Damascus by Jesus and had been blinded, and was told by Jesus to go into this house and to wait for further instructions. And so as he's been waiting, uh, Saul has been fasting for three days with no food and water, and has been praying to the Lord, waiting for Ananias to show up. And God Himself had, had given Saul a vision, and Ananias is going to come and lay his hands on him. And he was going to receive his sight. So this is where we're picking up. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. 
Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the, ga uh, the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Okay. So what we're going to look at tonight is we're going to look at um, a very, a very quick, at least from the standpoint of the scriptures, a very quick pro progression from Saul the Pharisee into Saul the Christian. Okay? And actually, when it says that he was there many days, it's, you know, I don't think you're talking like three days. I think he was there for a while, probably. But... So these four, these four fields of uh, Christian growth that we're going to look at start with faith and baptism, okay? And then it should continue on to uh, discipleship and declaration. Then we're going to look at trials and strengthening, and finally, persecution and perseverance. And these are the four fields that every Christian life should see, Right? And so we're going to start back at verse 17. We're going to read verse 17 and 18. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So this is a this is pretty straightforward enter the kingdom you know format. You know Jesus says that there's there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father, right? And it's through him. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we're saved not by our works but by simply putting our faith in him and in the work he did on the cross. And so Saul has already been confronted with this. Saul has already been confronted face to face by the Lord. And he's had three days fasting, three days of prayer where God has humbled him from a Jew of Jews to a man who can't even see, can't even lead himself through a city. God has humbled his heart. And he has spent these three days mourning over his own sinfulness, mourning in fear of the Lord, wondering what was going to come next. You know, and actually the Beatitudes tell us that this is how we have to enter the kingdom. In Matthew chapter five, verses three and four, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And see, nobody can come to God in a proud spirit. Because in order to to, have a, to, to come to God in a proud spirit, you have to be able to say, or in fact, people do say, rather they realize it or not, that there is something in them that is good enough. There is something in them that they can bring to God. There is some reason by their own strength that they deserve salvation. And that's simply not so. 
right? We know that in ourselves, we deserve death and a lake of fire because we've sinned against the perfect and holy God. But it's, it's the love and the grace of God that has covered that through the cross of Christ where he poured out his own blood to forgive us of our sins. And so, man, it takes some humbling to realize how guilty we are before God. And it takes some humbling of the heart to realize how great and unsearchable a need of Jesus's salvation that we have. And sometimes it takes a two by four to get us there. That was my case and that was Saul's case here. And so Saul has come to terms with this and the Lord has given him a vision and sent him a promise, you know, through his word that this man was going to come. He was going to lay hands on him and he was going to, two things, receive his sight, right? And be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. We were talking about this actually in small group last week on uh, why do you think, why do you think God blinded Saul? Was that really necessary? What do you think? You know, it's interesting. Jesus actually tells the Pharisees at one point, I wish you were blind so that then you could see. But because you say, I see, you are blind. Now, that's a bit of a paraphrase. But this man who thought he had it all, God had to literally blind him for him to finally realize how blind he had been denying Christ, right? But through this, he comes to faith in the Lord Jesus. And he's filled with the spirit as Ananias lays his hands on him. And then the next step is, it says in verse, let me see here, 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and received a sight and he arose and was baptized. Now, I'm sure every, most of y'all have heard me touch on this issue before, but how long did, did it take for Saul to be baptized once he received the Spirit of God? Not a whole lot of time. There was no, you know, well, let me take these classes first, right? Let me make sure I understand all the Greek, you know, terminology about baptism, which, by the way, baptized, it just means submerged. It's not, it's not fancy. Um, there was no, let me, ma- let me go through confirmation, and then I'll be ready. No, as soon as he believed, he was baptized. And this is something that uh, we should see, and we should seek more and more for people immediately. If they say, yes, I, I want to surrender my, my life, I want to follow Christ, great. First act of obedience be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in uh, uh, the next chapter, in chapter 10, 47 through 48, it's very interesting. Peter is in Cornelius' house. Cornelius is, a, is a, not a Jew. He's a, a centurion. And Peter is preaching Jesus to this man who's already a God-fearing man. And it says that, this is on the uh, list at the bottom if you want to put it up. It's two verses. And it says that as he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on this man and his family and they began to prophesy and all these different things, right? 
And it says in verse 47, Peter says, Can anyone forbid water that these, should, uh, that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Next verse. Look at this. This is interesting to me. I like this. It says, And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him to stay a few days. So this is the first field that, you know, thankfully or hopefully, all of us pretty comfortable with. Faith and baptism. This is how we enter into the covenant, the new covenant in Christ's blood. is through faith and uh, also baptism, right? Now, the second field that we need to look at is discipleship and declaration. Notice in verses 19 through 20, it says that once he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, it says, he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now, I want you to notice something about this. He doesn't just, Paul doesn't just say a prayer and, okay, yes, I'm a Christian. And then, well, okay, I'm going to go back to my old life now. I'm going to go back to my home as a Pharisee. I'm going to go back to my title and my position. I'm going to go back to my reputation. I'm going to go back to my wealth. No. It says, and he stayed some days, which was probably a period of time, like I said, some days with the disciples. And immediately he joined himself together with the body of Christ. And we underestimate how powerful and how important it is to be in fellowship with other Christians, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Right? Because in the fellowship of Christians, we get to see, we get to see different aspects of God's character. We get to hear struggles and, and, and uh, praises and be encouraged, right? And we get held accountable. And as we're held accountable, we grow. Right? But also, this is time where Paul is being discipled into what does Christian living look like, right? What does Christian living look like? So this is, this is Paul's discipleship, but even then, the Word of God says that immediately he began to preach Christ. Immediately. Again, we can say the same thing we said about baptism. He didn't need to take a class, right? He didn't have to have the Romans road, because he wrote Romans, so that came later. Right? He didn't have, you know, T for T. He simply preached Christ to the same type of people group that he was familiar with, the Jews. Yeah, there was no, no New Testament, right? He just preached Jesus. Whatever he knew, whatever he had experienced, I'll tell you what, if Jesus shows up and blinds you on a road, you got a lot to say. Okay? And I don't know about you, I never got blinded by Jesus, but I've had Jesus do a whole lot in my life. So I've got a lot to say. And if you've known Christ for any amount of time, if you've known Christ for a week, you should have a lot to say. Thomas got baptized two weeks ago. Right? A week ago, two weeks ago? Nah, it's been three weeks. Anyways, not the point. Just got baptized, and the next day he was telling me, I have so much peace. 
I have so much peace. Pulled away my anger. I have so much peace. That is enough to preach Jesus Christ. Look, I don't know about all your philosophies, but I accepted Jesus and now I have peace. What about you? Do you want that? I don't know about all your arguments and all your debates, but I know that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he proved it to me. What about you? Are you willing to come and see? And that's the second field, guys. That is the second step. Discipleship, joining with the body, and declaration, sharing Jesus with the world. And it shouldn't be a surprise that that's the second step because that's Jesus' basic command. The fullness of his commission. Go out and make disciples, baptize and teach, and know I am with you always. Right? And so a lot of times people are, are we, we start getting these ideas of what we think our, our ministry should be. We start thinking about, well, what God might use us for. And we get all these ideas, right? Or maybe we're searching and we, we don't really have any ideas. We're not really sure. And so we just focus, well, I just need to grow. And I just need to grow. And I need to be strong in my faith. And we don't ever get to the place we want to be. We don't ever get past that square that we're stuck on. Because we're not willing to move through the second field of Christian growth, which is declaring the Lord Jesus Christ. Because getting to the other two fields is a real slow process. Without that. The third field is trials, testings, you could say, but also strengthening. You know, I've been memorizing James 1 with my wife, and uh, in James 1, you know, it says, well, there's two different parts. At the beginning of James 1, it says, count it out joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you'd be complete, or perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so what, what God is telling you, it's actually your struggles it's actually your trials, it's actually your tests that promote growth, that draw you closer to the Lord, right? And later on in the chapter, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so let's not get surprised, let's not get angry, let's not get frustrated when we come into trials but let's have joy knowing that the same Lord who bought us, the same Lord who brought us this far, is able to keep you and to make you stand even farther. And so we see Paul that after he's joined together with the body, after he's preaching Christ in a synagogue, and it says, by the way, in verse 21, then all who heard were amazed. And they said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Isn't this the guy who was killing Christians? And now he's telling me I need to be one? Does that sound familiar? Well, aren't you the guy who used to do this and this, and now you're telling me not to? 
Aren't you the guy who used to be on the streets doing that and this, and now you're telling me I need God? That's how the world responds, right? But the truth is, when they see a man or they see a woman who was lost and deceived, which was all of us, and suddenly they're walking in Christ, I don't care what they have to say, the reality is they're amazed. And if you continue to walk in that, there will be nothing else for them to say because they will have seen the truth. They'll have seen the truth. Now, if you don't live it and you talk it, of course, they're not going to believe you. But if you do, if you simply walk in the Lord Jesus and you preach Christ, you will amaze people. Amaze people. I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, uh, works with somebody I know, and he said, you know why it took, you know why it took this person so long to come to church? I said, no, why? He said, well, because they knew you before you were a pastor. And they just thought that was kind of weird. You know, and so be it. But I'll tell you what, if you're not amazed at what God has done in my life and what God has done in your life compared to where you were before, I'm amazed. I'm amazed for me and I'm amazed for you. For those of you who I knew beforehand. (laughs) Right? But immediately he began to preach Jesus. And we know that he began to to come into trials and tribulations, that he was tested. Because you got to think, it says that he went into the synagogues, right? And he might know Jesus now, but that doesn't mean he's got all the answers. Doesn't mean that suddenly he's the most convincing person in the world. In fact, in the next couple of verses, it says, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And in verse 23 through 25, it basically says, and so then they decided to kill him. And they waited outside the gates. Think he stirred up a little bit of grief. You know what we don't have in the story? We don't have the arguments, the debates. You know what we don't have in the story? We don't have the people in the synagogue who looked at him with hate when he was preaching Christ in their synagogue the other Jews. You know, we don't have in the story, we don't have the Jews who looked at him and said, you traitor. We don't have that in the story, but I guarantee you, if they're outside waiting to kill him, it was happening. We don't have in the story the conversations where maybe he didn't have the rebuttal to go against their Old Testament, this or that, at the moment. It said that he grew in strength, which means there was lacking at first, which means there was fear, there was doubt, there were these things probably there just like all of us experienced, but he kept preaching Jesus. And it was in preaching Jesus that he grew in strength. You know, I've done a lot of things in my life, a lot of things. And the one thing I've learned for me is that when I decide to do something, I'm just going to do it. I just do it. Part of that is because I get excited. The other part of that is because I've learned that's how you learn. You know, I've studied martial arts a long time, and I read a lot of books, a lot of books about martial arts. I used to go to Hastings when I was a teenager, and I used to just sit there. I used to get a stack of martial art books, and I would just read. I would just read them, right? Out of all that reading, all those techniques, and all that Aikido, and all that, you know how much of that stuff I can do? 
Not very much. You know why? Because I was never practicing. I was just reading. Did some of it help? Yeah, some of it helped. But you know what I am good at? The things I went out and did. The punches and the kicks that I practiced. Those I've been strengthened in. Right? The techniques that I've used over and over and over, those I was strengthened in. Right? I've read the Word of God. Okay? Can I, off the top of my head, give you the depths and knowledge of all of it? Maybe not. But I'll tell you what, the places that I've taught, the places that I've shared with others, the truth that God's given me, in those places I've been strengthened. So many times we want, you know, to be prepared. We want to, well, you know, I need to know more. I need these things. No, you need to preach Jesus. You need to walk in fear of the Lord instead of fear of man. And you need to let Jesus take care of who gets saved and who doesn't. You need to get, let Jesus and the Holy Spirit take care of whether or not you have fear. You need to let Jesus take care of the, the, uh, of the conditions. You need to just say, yes, Lord, send me. Because that's the second step of Christian faith. And when you do that, you will be tested. You will go through trials. And yeah, guess what? If you don't do that, you're still going to go through trials. Right? If you're not reading the word of God, you're still going to go through trials. If you're not being strengthened and encouraged by other Christians, you're still going to go through trials. Who in here goes through trials? Who in here gets tempted? Guess what? It's a whole lot easier when you know God's word. It's a whole lot easier when, as you're reading, there's a verse that you grab onto and you think about it all week. Because then it affects what you do. I've got a verse I've been reading about, about about conversations and the way people talk. And I've been thinking about it, dwelling on it. And I've been seeing how it affects people around me. And guess what? When I'm in conversations, it's changing mine. It's a whole lot easier to walk with Jesus, right? And trials and temptations still come. But it's through our testing that we're strengthened. And we grow with the Lord. The fourth field, the final field. And by the way, all of these we see in the Beatitudes as well. Um, as far as hunger and thirsting for righteousness, being meek, being peacekeepers, being pure of heart, the ways we handle things in our life, right? And then finally, the, uh, the very last beatitude actually in Matthew 5 is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this is the fourth field of Christian growth. If you have faith in Christ and you have been baptized into his body, if you have submitted yourself to, to discipleship, if you're declaring Jesus to the people around you, if you're being tested and trusting God to move you through the testings and move you through the trials and not running away from them, you know what the final prospect will be? Persecution. Persecution. Because the world hates the gospel. They hate it. You know why you're afraid to share the gospel? Because you know the world hates it. 
right? And they hate it. And if you talk about Jesus a little bit and then you say, hey, 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 man, come on, and you be quiet, don't worry about the fourth field. If you don't share Jesus at all, definitely don't worry about the fourth field. But if you're willing to give Jesus the passion of your heart, give him that. Think about it. I want you all to think about that for a second. I want you to think about the passions you have in your life. I want you to think about what, what, what are you doing when you feel passion and you just feel lost in whatever it is. I want you to feel, think about that feeling, that consuming desire. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What if you gave that to Jesus? Are you afraid of what he would do with it? You probably should be. <laughs> should probably be excited too, but give that to Jesus. And if you do, people will persecute you. But I want you to notice something. This was not the end of the road for Saul. They stood outside the gate day and night waiting to kill Saul because he simply was preaching Jesus. But you know what happened? God was there to deliver him. It says that word got back to the disciples and they lowered him out of a window through a basket and he escaped and went on to Jerusalem. And Jesus, many times, as the Pharisees plotted against him, God moved him out of their reach. Even as the Pharisees stood around Jesus with rocks in their hands, about to stone him, and he said, what good work do you stone me for? It says he disappeared from their sight and he walked through the midst of the crowd. And God delivered him. You should, if you seek, what, what's the verse? All who seek, all who seek to live godly, all who seek to follow, I can't remember the middle part. All who seek to follow Christ will suffer persecution. Right? All who, who seek to live godly will suffer persecution. can't remember exactly how that verse goes. I should have looked that one up next time. You can Google it. It's all right. That should be your expectation. shouldn't be your desire. But it also shouldn't be your fear because God is able to deliver you if it's his will. So, let me ask you this. What about us here tonight? What about you? What about you? I was asking someone today, what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want your life to look like? Do you want it to be following Christ? Do you want it to be, I surrender all? Because I guarantee you, if I, start, if I pull out the guitar and I start singing, I surrender all, you'll all join me. Is that what you want your life to look like? Then what about us? Because I can guarantee you, trust me, I know most of the people in town. I know some of the other groups, right? And some of them are really talented and know the Lord, right? Don't think I'm saying anything bad. But I guarantee you, if we got all the blueprint together, there is no other group of Christians our age that are as equipped and as trained to share the gospel. None. 
There is no other group of Christian than the people in this room that should be as able to share the word of God. Because almost everybody in Blueprint has been waist deep in the scriptures for a couple of years. And almost 90% of our group has been taught part of, if not all, of the T4T system. Almost every one of you know how to share your story in the gospel in a minute. Almost all of you can recite very significant verses about who Christ is and how to receive salvation. So what about you? Where are you in the four fields? Is it faith and baptism? Are you lacking discipleship? Are you lacking the will to declare the Lord Jesus? Are you looking at the trials and temptations and saying, nope, too far, and turning around? Or are you just waiting for the persecution to come? Where are you? I'm not asking for an answer, but where are you? And let me ask, where do you want to be? I want to be in field four. Not because I want to get persecuted, because I like my kneecaps where they're at. And I like my face the way it looks. And I'm not particularly fond of crosses or nooses or any of those other things, or even bad words. I'm not really fond of those. I don't like being called bad names, man. But I want to be in field four, because I know the only thing past field four is seeing Jesus face to face and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's where I want to be where I want to be and sometimes it takes going back a step and saying where am I saying okay if I really want to progress what do I need to do what's really stopping me what's really stopping me from following after Christ right Guys, I want to invite you all to seriously consider this sermon for the rest of the week. To seriously consider what do you think Kerrville would look like if you simply started telling people what God has done in your life already? For those of you who have been trained, what would Kerrville actually look like if this group of Christians right here started sharing the gospel? Sharing the gospel. Because we saw Samaria turned upside down by one dude. One dude, Philip. We saw Damascus turned upside down where people were plotting to kill a Christian because of one guy, Saul. We've got a room of like 20 people. I don't know how many here tonight, but we've got a room of 20 people who are able to, to share the word of God and to share their faith. What do you want Kerrville to look like? Just think about that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this night, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you love us, Father, that in your grace is more than enough, Father God. Lord, your grace covers all things, Lord, all of our shortcomings. And Father God, I just, I pray, Lord, that the same salvation that I've received, 
the same blessing, the same honor, the same glory that I'm looking forward to. That was a gift from you. I, I pray that that same salvation would be offered to every other person in this town. I know not all of them will receive it. I know not all of them will be saved. But I pray, Lord, that it will be offered to each and every one of them. And I pray for all of us in, the, in this room, Lord, that we would, with a great deal of conviction, accept your word and accept the fact that your desire, Lord, to see your kingdom grow is a real desire. And that you told your disciples, look up for the, the harvest. It's already white for harvest. And so, Father God, let us be diligent in pursuing you, Lord. Let us be strengthened in faith. Let us be faithful in trials and temptations to overcome through your spirit. Let us be dedicated in discipling one another. And Father, give us the boldness to declare you, Jesus, to the lost who are all around us. Let us be a useful church. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.